0: Oh, 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 it's time to go. Back to the dungeon far below. Players arrive in time to die. Man, I love to watch them cry.
1: Grab some dice, grab some fun. Join the teachers in the dungeon. Hello everybody and welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Tom Gross, one of your hosts here in the dungeon. Joining me is the other half of the party, Dan Ream. Dan, what's new? How are you doing today? I am doing just fine.
0: You always ask me and I should have something
1: ready to say. I never do. All right, well. One of these days. I'll give you a heads up that it's coming. Then I'm going to ask you what's new. So we'll go that route. All right. Awesome. Well, we're so glad, everybody, that you've joined us today. We thank you so much for supporting us and uh, sending us that feedback. We've been getting quite a bit of feedback from all of you. We'll recap some of that in another show soon. But I want to bring on a very special guest from the TPRG. uh, Sorry, I don't know that I said that right. TTRPG. There we go. In education community. Joining us tonight is Michael Lowe. And Michael, we are happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, any chance to
2: nerd out about games with teachers? I mean, nerd out about games in general, but with yeah. teachers, that's like a double win.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't yeah. agree more. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about your background in education and how you became involved in role playing games or or playing games in the classroom.
2: Yeah. Um, well, gosh, I don't know. I I have this like. I guess this is the movie scene moment from early in my public education career. I've been teaching more than 2 decades, got my masters in secondary ed and all that good stuff. Been writing curriculum, designing it, doing curriculum development for schools. And near the beginning of my public public school classroom experience, I was on the south side of Chicago and I was doing I was running some activity in class and I whipped out I actually think it was percentile dice. I think I rolled 2d10. And a bunch of kids in the front row went, are those Dungeons and Dragons dice? And I was like, well, technically they're, and I was like, well, no, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. You you know, you can use them to play any game, but yes, they're they're nerd dice. I'm old school nerd. And the next kid next to him looks up and goes, can you teach us? And I looked down and I, I remember having this weird, you know, sort of like split screen disjunction where I'm like, you know, when I was your age, Nobody would have said that out loud. You would have gotten stuffed (laughs) into a locker, my friend. Something has changed. And um, Mm -hmm. ever since I've been playing, and a lot of teachers have had this experience, you end up running after-school games for kids. You end up finding all the wonderful kids who are into stories and, you know, into the nerdiness of it, and they come to your room. My last classroom before we moved to L.A., I was in East San Jose. My buddy was the photography teacher right next door. His name, last name also happened to be Lowe. And uh, we had regular magic sessions during lunch and it became like known and we attracted from the campus just the entire cohort of kids who were into that sort of thing. So it was great. And then, you know, if you ask me about how I got into using it to teach, that's sort of the second, second leg of the journey, I guess. Hmm. Do you want want me to go there? I just didn't want to keep talking. I was like, (laughs) oh, absolutely. Let's go. Yeah, go for it. I love that. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I've always been, I've been building games ever since I knew you could get away with doing that. So I was talking to an artist friend of mine who mentioned that we had been playing a game on the tile floor of my, my old house when we were 12. And he was like, that was a great game. Lego battles. I love that game. And I was like, yeah, I made that game. And he's like, I thought it was real. And I was like, it was real. How dare you? But um, so, you know, it's I have that nerdy urge to always break it apart, figure out what makes it work, change it, make it mine, make it do a different thing. It's a very teacher thing, right? I often think that gaming informed my curriculum development skills and my curriculum development skills have recursively refined how I approach game design. So come the pandemic, I had a local crew of kids who were gaming with my son. It was a bunch of eight to 10 year olds. And we had a wonderful homebrew system that worked great in the house. And then the pandemic hit and I had to take it online. And immediately I knew that what we had been doing wouldn't work. So I sort of picked up fifth ed and said, okay, I'll run something from here. And very quickly realized that Fifth Ed, uh, in terms of my own values, was not what I wanted to play with 8- to 10-year-olds. It was a sort of a question of what the goal was. Everything centered around combat and violence, and the game we'd been playing centered around community, friendship, creative problem-solving, critical thinking, misunderstandings were the source of a lot of our drama. And so very quickly, I decided I had to build something new, and I did. I had the fortune to fall in with a crew of amazing designers, Mo Poplar, Tomer Gurantz, Christian Yetter, Jay. They're all amazing. They're at Story Games Glendale and they were doing an online makers meetup. And I picked up a few different tools from them and started building. And I ended up with something that works on Google Slides, which very quickly became centered around writing. So now I teach six-week classes, sometimes during camp, during like breaks, I'll teach a full one-week class. And I have about eight different games. They're all brilliantly laid out in um, Google sites, which is just such a trick because it lets you have professional grade layout with so little effort, if you know the right sites. (laughs) The rules are all self-contained within the slideshow. But the cool part is it's actively inviting kids to build games so they can bring in illustrations from anywhere on the, the web for inspiration. And the way they build their characters in my system is through story. So every game begins where everyone is written on whatever prompts they chose from the last session. We read them aloud, we celebrate, and then ultimately what we do is we figure out how they work together, edit them a little, talk about, we sometimes create grammar slides for particular problems, talk about diction, tone, dialogue, characterization, all that good stuff. And then they get story points based on that to build their characters and allow them more agency in the plot. And the cool part is, you know, if somebody bails one week, you know, they'll take up a collection plate, you know, and the kids will be like, I'll kick you one this time, but you got to hit me back next time. And uh, <laughs> and very often, if, you know, things get really dramatic, kids are always quick to be like, I'm going to put three down, get a re-roll on that. I'm not letting this happen this way. I don't know, like last session, we just had a brilliant MetaHuman Heroes game where the kids ended up, one kid spent five story points straight out to say that his Tinker genius character could build a double-decker spaceship food truck that they could fly to (laughs) deal with the Space Dragon issue over Tokyo, which was loads of fun. So anyway, the thing that was brilliant about all this is I realized that games effectively answered a lot of the problems and the issues that teachers attempt to address with everything they do. School's kind of a badly designed game. We've rigged it so that the points seem very abstract, subjective, not objective, and meaningless to kids. They're mostly fueled by pure attention and pure celebration, but we've abstracted the point where that's not happening. You don't get cheered when you get an A. You don't get cheered when you do well at problems. In a role-playing game, if you write a brilliant story and it changes the world and it's really clever, everyone cheers. In a role-playing game, if you have that moment where you speak up and you have a great idea... Everyone cheers. And the positive feedback loop has been sort of a a revel. I I don't know. I really face palmed when I saw how well it worked. Because I had kids who, you know, one of my kids has written a 100 page novel since he started with me. And it's all connecting all the different stories. And he's also exploring all these different genres. You know, he'll write one story from the perspective of a cat owned by one of the characters, he'll do another story that's an exchange of texts between two characters or an email chain of emails that have been left in the inbox of a character with amnesia. And these are things that he, you know, none of my kids were doing before they took the class. And many of them actively began saying, I hate writing. You know, I'm really, you know, I like stories and I like some shows, but oh gosh, I can't stand writing. And now, you know, they're bugging me for extra, can we we write another one on this? And I want to play that game and go again. So to me, that is the ultimate, right? And I've also got kids building their own games which has been the other brilliant one they can copy the whole deck and build their own so i've had a kid build a warrior cats game it's the there's a novel series for kids about these tribes yep. of warrior cats living in the the wilderness and they built an entire game off it and played it ran it for their friends another one did a, one about yellowstone national park where you played animals trying to bring wolves back cuz the ecosystem collapsed apparently after mm. wolves went extinct effectively in the park so anyway, all of those things for me are, they're my they are my brass ring as an educator. As an educator, the best thing I can do is see my kids not only learning on their own and using the tools that I've given them to build their own knowledge, but sharing it. So yeah, I've been floored and uh, I have not looked back.
0: Can I jump in, Tom, real quick? Absolutely. Just for my own sort of clarification. So do you imagine the answer to this is both, but... <laughs> Is this something that you you offer to kids a sort of a tutorial extracurricular type lesson set? Is this something that you offer to teachers to integrate into their classroom? How does that how does that work? This
2: became my full-time job. In the spring of last year, I'd been running this part-time as I was teaching virtually. My son is eight and he was too young to be vaccinated. And in the fall, we were asked to. Come back to the classroom, my wife and I sort of sat down and had a really tough talk. I don't I didn't want to leave, but I also knew that I could never forgive myself if uh, if I brought it home. And so the decision was: all right, stay home and do your business full time. And that's what I've been doing. And one of the interesting questions, so it's not both, it's it's actually one, but I really want the other. So <laughs> I've been I've been developing this game and would love to be able to share it with teachers. And one of the things that I've been sort of hustling to get the time to do, because I've got about a million things, I've sort of been shocked to find that I'm busier as somebody who's working for myself than I ever was in the classroom, which sounds insane. (laughs) If you've ever been in the classroom, you know that that's just not, you're so busy. But yeah, I'm even busier. But yeah, I would love to release it and I'm beginning to try to build a community of educators and what I'm hoping to be able to do is release a prototype of the game alongside of a teacher's edition and writing the teacher's edition has been the, you know, doing the how to do this and all the things, all the intangible skills, the soft skills that go into running it and running it well and making it work Mm. for kids and how the assessment works and how the feedback works for parents and how you tie it to standards and where to look in the portfolio, all those things, those require a lot of explanation to get into teacher's hands. So I haven't yet figured that out. And I've been talking to, uh, if you know, Inspiriles by Rich, uh, Hatchling DM new kickstarter it just he just cleared some ridiculous like 100,000 pound goal it's a uh, game for teaching ASL and BSL American sign language and it's currently being tested in classrooms and he's been a brilliant help and he and i are talking about what releasing my game
0: might look like and how to do it oh. cuz that's new to me <laughs> right right i mean as again as a teacher myself coming up with just games for small sakes of the class, the, the hardest thing is not letting the game take over and become an end of it itself. And I found that particularly in social studies that I've got content mm. for high school kids that I definitely want to get across. Mm-hmm. If I'm not careful, we've forgotten the content. We're just playing the game. It's interesting because it's,
2: a, it's funny. I think a lot of teachers feel that tension, right? There's an idea that, content and, and you know, standards can't be hit within the context of a really involved and deep narrative structure game, right? My experience has actually weirdly been the opposite. My kids get into conversations about suspension of disbelief with each other. You know, we're in a, a game in which they're playing demon wizards who fly arcane mechs, in this bizarre planet in the middle of nowhere. They thought it was going to be totally insane. I brought it together. I was very proud of that. I love (laughs) that setting. They created this game and we built it together. Whole slideshow's theirs, populated entirely by like Gundams and Evangelion. It's fun. But you know, one kid wrote this brilliant story and they're eating out of a can of Pringles. And some of the kids are like, okay, wait, no. And these are kids who are about 10, you know, and they start having this deeply involved conversation. like, look, Like, if I'm reading this and I come across the can of Pringles, see, all of a sudden, I don't believe the world anymore. And we get really deep into it. And I'm like, okay, so let me share Tolkien's on the suspension of disbelief with you. And we ended up having that as curriculum and content that kids who are, you know, middle school age and younger were deeply engaged with. I think the key happens, I think the key has to do with design and figuring out how to balance it. And that's been something I've been working with and struggling through. And I have some thoughts for English and also for social studies and science. But I don't have an answer, which is one of the reasons I'm trying to build this community. Because I think as a tool, the the potential of RPGs in the classroom is not even close
1: to being tapped. There's so much potential. I I couldn't agree more on all levels of that. Like What I see now is, in, in, in our experience, so we run... We run uh, Dungeons and Dragons in an after-school game club, and then I, I have an English teacher that's we're running Dungeons and Dragons in his British literature class. Mm-hmm. And each adventure weaves its way through the through the literature of of the books that he's teaching. Yeah, and characters interact with the with the play the kids characters mm-hmm. interact with the main characters of the novel, and and mm-hmm. it was really interesting that we're we are in the the like infancy of this implementation. But again, mm-hmm. like you. The pandemic, you know, as far as bad and awful as, as the last two years and frustrating as the last two years have been, I, I think what we're starting to see now is some of the of the good things that are rising to the top of, of that because the pandemic gave us a chance to start that. But it's been really interesting watching the kids interact with the characters in the novel. Now, of course, that interpretation mm-hmm. of those characters comes through the, the English teacher and myself. His name's Dan Zarek. But still, the students are like, "No, it's not him." And we're like, "Yes, <laughs> you know, it's the villain of the book, or or whatever." But what mm-hmm. what's what's really apparent to me now isn't so much the mm-hmm. curriculum, and I think that will come along. What's really mm-hmm. apparent to me is the social skills and the collaboration in the classroom, and and drawing out, you know, their are students, and we we have some somewhat sorts of data. Of students that prior to playing the Dungeons and Dragons or role playing in class, mm. they were a sit in the corner. I'm not going to say anything. I answer when I have to. I mm-hmm. give exactly the answer and I'm done. To now they're yep. role playing in a game, and they are coming out of their shell and like and like in, interacting and and I think so. So there's two sides to the role playing aspect, which I'm sure you've seen and you, yeah. you've shared some already. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about that, and I want to get into the game that you're talking that, that you have that you are developing. But let's take a quick mm. break. Let us all take some time to process. We know how important processing <laughs> is in education. Let's take a minute to reflect and process, and we will be right back on Teachers in the Dungeon. And we are back. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream. We are talking to Michael Lowe about playing games, mm-hmm. RPGs in classrooms, and uh, in education. Before the break, we were talking about the sort of this the split side of the benefits of uh, role playing in a classroom from the curriculum side to the, this I suppose you call them the social skills side. Michael, when I was talking about that, you you mm-hmm. were about ready to jump right through my monitor. So tell me <laughs> what you were thinking. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. have seen this. I-
2: Well, so it's interesting because even the idea that those things are divided, to me, speaks to the fact that school is a badly designed game. It's a game. You play for points, are arbitrary and subjective, and we've designed it badly because we've failed to do what, you know, what good designers do. And I think every good teacher, what we ultimately do is we take the rules of the game, the same way you do in role-playing games, and if they don't work for your table, you break them or you bend them, Right. So role-playing games, if they're well-designed, do a lot of the things that you need in order to get somebody fully engaged and completely committed to a learning process. And the bottom line is, if somebody is willing to commit to a learning process, you're going to win no matter what you do. It's very hard to mess that up once they're in. So everybody's had the kid who's, for example, a star player on one of your, your sports teams, They will be behind by several months of work, and a game will come time to play, and they won't be allowed on the field until they bring their grades up, and all of a sudden, you'll get four months of work in a week. And there's a very simple reason. The experience that they've had on the field has given them a particularly motivating reason for doing what they're doing. And it's oxytocin and dopamine, because kids' brains are wired to be absolutely fixated on peer attention, belonging, feeling of community, and having that win experience, guaranteed every kid who's who's doing that has had an experience on the field where they did something, they tried hard, and they were celebrated and felt a part of a group. Now, the weird thing is, a lot of the things we do in education are attempts at creating that experience, but sort of ineffective ones. So I say a lot about this on my blogs on luckoflegends.com, but you know, creating classroom culture, what is that? Well, if you're good, it's session zero. It's you talking about what kind of story do you wanna tell, making sure that everyone feels safe and can vote and allow themselves to be heard in a respectful way. It's establishing a way to interact that will allow people to develop intimacy. Now, you wanna talk about what happens during a session, to me, that's the most brilliant part that's new. One of the hardest things to do, I don't know if, if you've had this experience personally, I loathe group work. I think it's awful. And I think most kids hate it. And the reason that most kids will hate it, you say this in a room, you say, how do you guys feel about group work? And everybody goes like this. Either there's you know <laughs> there's gonna be one kid who's like, you know, I like it when somebody else does the work because I don't want to. And then there's another kid who's like, I hate it that I always have to do the work for that kid because he doesn't want to. The reason it fails is everyone in the group is not necessarily committed to the same goals. They don't share a common sense of urgency or destination. And because of that, they don't learn to trust one another. Instead of the group work bringing them together and creating bonds where they feel creative and inspired together, it does the opposite. It actually hurts classroom morale. So when I was in the classroom, I would often, I would never have group projects, but I would often get kids to work together. But it would, it would have to be kids who I could incentivize and who would find common ground. Games do that brilliantly. Within one session, you said, you know, I use a something I call the drama clock, right? So instead of having a bad guy who needs to be hurt, because I'm not into that, I have a situation that needs to be resolved. So for instance, there's a portal opening above Tokyo and there's a space dragon on the other side. And it's not wide enough to let him through yet but things are being sucked into the portal. You get a certain number of moves to try to resolve the situation and every character can interact however they like. So as creative as you want to get with your abilities, whatever your character can do, use it. Immediately, kids are shouting, you got that one thing on your sheet, you should use that. And okay, you do that and then I'll do this. And I'm not any part of the discussion anymore. Instead of teacher to student or student to teacher, it's become student to student. And they learn to trust each other. Once that other kid has saved your bacon several times in a really intense way, once they've spent their story points helping you re-roll because that big role went awry, you have an emotional bond, you've got oxytocin and dopamine invested, and you're committed to the same story in a genuine way. Once you got that,
1: you can take those kids anywhere. They'll learn anything in the process of doing that together. So I'm, I've am i been looking at, you mentioned the dot mm. com. Been mm. working through that and you got a great blog, definitely worth reading for anyone listening that has an interest in this or is an education. And we talked before the show that we'll come back. I'm hoping you'll come back and join us to have conversation about some of the items in your blog. But I want sure. to talk about the, me- the mechanics of your game. Um, and I'm not, sh- so looking at this, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong as I'm looking through the website. So I'm looking at a, a one sheet. It's, a, it's the Stories RPG one sheet. Is that your game mechanics or is there another would place you, that I should go would look for you that?
2: like? Would you like to see some of this? Because here's my problem. The game that I use to teach is not a game that I've been able to release because it's not fully illustrated. And oh. as a result of not owning the illustrations, I can use it to teach because I'm selling my own skills as an educator, but I can't release it to the public unless ah. I strip it of all the things that make it exciting in <laughs> order to release it. But the base mechanic does share a lot with Stories RPG. So if you'd okay. like, I'd be happy to show you some of those games and talk about the mechanics, but I'm not sure if that's the way you'd like to go or if you'd like me to talk about Stories because Stories is really it's a labor of love. I'm very fond of it. It's sort of a simplified version of a more complex educational game that I run in my classes. Okay. Let's do that. That sounds good. Okay. Let me show you MetaHuman Heroes. So all of these are from SlidesGo.com templates. I had to pick between about eight different settings so MetaHuman Heroes is one. I also have RimWorld Researchers, Beast Preservation Corps, Knights of the Microbiome. That's a good one. We as Goblins, Mecha Magi has been a new favorite. That's one that the kids built. This has everything for the game. And at the beginning of all of my classes, the kids get to vote. So I'll give them a short introduction to each of the settings, and I'll walk them through the X card, and they'll get to vote to see what they want to play. Now, each of them gets their own character slide. They get to include their own visuals. They get to, you know, I help them. I have a bunch of Pinterest boards that we like to grab pictures from. And they have to answer a few questions about who they are. And when I say who they are, this is not their abilities. Because one of the problems I have with a lot of role-playing games is they are primarily war games. They are not story games. So they don't focus on questions like, what's really important to you? What do you do when nobody's looking? Who's your best friend? Who's the person that you turn to when you're feeling down? Uh, Why are you doing what you're doing? And there's also a built-in expectation that you're going to tell a particular kind of story. For example, in Dungeons & Dragons, you're going to fight monsters and get stuff. This is a game which structures itself primarily around stories. So these are all stories that were written by my kiddos. You pick an archetype. Maybe you're a genius hero or a strong hero. And then this is the, the base mechanic for the game. We use slides, and they choose from drop-down menus a few different tags. And the goal here is to get kids describing what their character does and how their character thinks when they want to solve a problem. Okay. So even if – and the other goal here is to create characters who are interesting. One problem with a game that's about winning is people don't want to do things – That lose. And of course, good stories happen because you lose, right? So if I'm playing MetaHuman Heroes or Monster High School, if you are hyperactive, sometimes that can be very useful. If you want to run real fast and check all the classroom doors because you're not sure which of them has your class in it, then being hyperactive, you can say, I'm hyperactive so I can move fast. That's one die. So this is a blades in the dark mechanic. It's build your die pool. You can have a max of three dice, You can get one extra die if you've got a friend to help. And, of course, you want to use your bonds because bonds are a primary kind of tag. So if you can describe how you're partnering up with different characters, even non-player characters, then, of course, you're going to get more dice. You roll. The high die is what determines your success or your success with problems or your failure. And then story points are this lovely catch-all for helping kids when they're either, you know, eaten up by the drama, or whether they really just can't stand losing this one role for whatever reason, they can spend story points for a reroll. And of course, they earn those by telling stories. And then for monitoring drama, I have drama clocks. So here are some examples of these that are from that last game. And uh, I'm happy to walk you through how this mechanic works. I realize I've been doing that thing where I talk a lot about something I'm excited about, Without letting other people talk, so please
0: um, ask me whatever you'd like to know. I apologize. That is a total, uh, total tangent, but it reminds me of a, a cooperative game I played. It's very popular. I'm sure you've heard of it, Pandemic. Yep. Where people have to work together to try to accomplish some goal, and yep. And uh, I I see that in a lot of this, which which I thought. I mean, the first time I saw Pandemic, that was the first time I'd ever seen a cooperative game which I just thought was genius, you know? The Europeans have been
2: have been uh, cleverer than us by far in terms of design. We were over here going, yeah, but I have to hurt people and win and I want to fight and there have to be losers and blood. And the Europeans are going, you know, we got a lot of problems. Maybe if we work together, we
0: could solve some. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with them. I was going to say that it seems like that, yeah, no. the, that whole explosion of those types of games did come from European designers. Yeah, my goal in in role playing games is simply to give kids
2: drama. I always tell them one of the first things we talk about is how drama is. It's good for stories. So perfect characters are boring. When we started playing, you know, I had you always have some kids who come in and I call them. Uh, they make characters who I call arts. They uh, they have no personality. They're sort of uh, defined by abilities only. They're kitchen implements, right? And part of teaching story is teaching three dimensionality, right? And an embrace of difference, an embrace of diversity, an embrace of complex identity, and the idea that things that might be awkward might actually be wonderful. So I just ended a monster high school game and these kids played an absolute band of misfits. They're freshmen at a monster high school for magic teens. And every one of them chose as their drive something kind of dark. You know, one of them had crippling shyness Uh, Another one was terrified. Another one had anger management issues. And it was precisely because of those qualities that they were able to connect and find community and kind of save each other's butts at crucial, crucial junctures. And it was also their way of communicating with me as a teacher and telling me, this is the story I want to tell. This is what I need to explore right now. I don't need you forcing me into the story box that you need to tell. This is the story I need to tell. And of course, connecting that to, you know, to, to the common core standards for ELA is very mm-hmm. easy. And if you want to talk science and social studies, boy, I'll go hard if you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something you said made me think about, um, mm-hmm. one of the things I love about role-playing games, and that is, and I've heard several people talk about this, um, on, mm-hmm. on different podcasts about role-playing games, is role-playing games really creates a, a safe space for kids, for teens, and even for us as adults, mm-hmm. where we can socially try some things out that would not be safe mm-hmm. in real life. But mm-hmm. I've created a character that maybe has these ideas or these concepts, mm-hmm. or even just sort of, I don't know, I, you know, identities that that we wouldn't want to try out yeah. in in public, but boy, role-playing it is a different sort of thing. It gives us that experience to see how do other characters react to this? What do other people have to say about it? How do I respond to things Mm -hmm. like that? And so a lot of what you're talking about there really plays into that with your, I love the the concept of, of drama, you know, Mm. instead of calling it combat or, you know, creating combat or Mm -hmm. instead of conflict, it's, it's drama. That's language that kids can really understand.
2: Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting when you say it can create a safe space. It can, but it's a lot like a classroom, right? And I think, again, to talk about school as a badly designed game, one of the problems starts with terminology, right? So you're talking about the importance of using a word like drama as opposed to combat or death, right? Which is very loaded. Some kids have experienced it. Safety tools is, by the way, being slowly replaced as a term by calibration tools, because the fact is nobody can make any space absolutely safe for anyone. And there is real risk and danger involved in being emotionally vulnerable in a story game. And so one of the things I love about the story game as an approach to teaching is in teaching, we're given the wrong vocabulary. I cannot count the number of times somebody has asked me, what's your approach to behavior management? And my reply was... I don't train dogs. And they look at me kind of in a surprised way. And I say, that's the language that you use to train animals. I build relationships. I don't manage behavior. But those are the words we're taught, right? It comes even in the way we've been cultured into speaking about growth and measurements of academic skill. Data. What do your data say? Technically, if you talk to any data scientist, They will laugh out loud if you say that because they'll say data can't tell you anything. Everything is in the analysis. And if you don't know what the real meaning of the numbers you're measuring is, they have literally negative impact on your understanding because they substitute for a profound and deep understanding of what's actually happening in a situation. So what I love about games is they do. They reframe it. If you approach the table as a storyteller, I'm thinking first, how do I engage kids? Not how do I force this content down their throats? Not how do I make sure they don't do anything I don't want them to do, but rather, how do I get them fully into the story? And how do I make sure that the story is approachable and safe for all of them so that everybody feels like they have an active part of that story? Mm -hmm. That is creating real classroom culture in a very visceral, completely honest way that I think really great teachers do But, you know, we all have been kind of designing our own games in our little black boxes. And boy, howdy, wouldn't it be nice to have some shared language and do a little bit of vocab change and maybe mental shift? So I like what it does to me as a teacher. I like the way it frames my approach to
1: my students and the learning process. I think this is a good place to take another break. What do you think, Dan? (laughs) Yes. I'm so sorry. You no, guys no, give me is, good questions, man. This I'm is, sorry. This is wonderful. So let's take a quick break. Uh, this is Teachers in the Dungeon. We'll be right back. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, Subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.